Hi, this is Charlie Peck for the Thriving School Community Podcast. And we have Andrea Bittner here today. We're going to talk about English language learners. And wow, do we have an amazing resource, you guys. She's doing so many amazing things, truly. Andrea, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we're connected. So Andrew and I met at a conference and then we're on a group that we meet up every week. And it's really a great space for us to learn about each other. So it made sense for me to bring you in, Andrew, to talk about EL and how we can support our students better so that you know, they have a really unique space and experience in our schools. And so we do have to pay closer attention to them. So tell me a little bit about your background and why you're speaking nationally and working with all school, like so many schools across the country, um, helping them. What are you doing and how did you get into that? Oh, I appreciate you asking that. So I've been working in this field for about 23 years now, um, and 17 of them have been spent working with um, English language learners. And it's really interesting to think that one in five families across the country are now considered English language learners. Really? One in five families? One in five. Most wow. of the students now who are what we call ELs or Ls are born here, which goes contrary to popular belief. Most people still think they're coming in from different countries, which sometimes they are. Um, but at the same time, most kids are at home with mommy, you know, from ages zero to five speaking Arabic or French or Spanish or, you know, Mandarin, whatever the language may be. But when they come to school is the first time they may hear English. Hmm. And it's the oh. first time that their first language doesn't work for them. And that's a really interesting experience for those kids to have coming in really young. Yeah. What does that do to them? You know, it's really confusing for them at first, because for the first part of their life, using their language has always been successful, but really, you know, biologically, their brain starts to change because now they're starting to connect and communicate in two languages. Um, it creates a lot of anxiety at first. You know, they may be able to have to say something as simple as I have to go to the bathroom or I need help or I don't understand. And if they haven't had exposure to English before that, now that's something they have to learn. And so that's why working as an EL teacher is so important, not just at the kindergarten level, but in K to 12, because when kids first come to classroom, they need those survival skills. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you called them survival skills because they they really are. And it is at any age level. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that too. So let's talk about that. How might those kids when they do come in, if they feel uncomfortable or they have that anxiety, how might that show up in their behavior or their performance? So what we have that's very normal and natural for many of our L's who come in with limited or formal schooling or not very much exposure to English in their home country or, you know, just coming in as a youngster, the first thing that you want to think is how am I going to be able to provide them with survival skills and the behaviors that you might see as a silent period? And that's completely normal. It can go on for up to a year. And I have a young man um, with an example of a story from that from just two years ago. He came over to this country during COVID. So he was thrown into virtual education in English. Wow. And he spoke, he was from Cambodia. So he spoke what's called Khmer. For the whole first year, he was a deer in headlights. He was on a screen living in Delaware. The trauma of coming here, the trauma of the new language, the trauma of the new traditions, the school systems, mm -hmm. people speaking to where I come from in Philly, I say the fastest speaking, most impatient part of the country. You know, people have this perception of, you know, I want English right now. And for the whole first year, he didn't speak. He didn't respond. And we didn't think he could read. We weren't sure. 
Mm. And here he is. Now I have him as a middle schooler going into eighth grade. And the truth of the matter was he could always read. And the truth of the matter was his mom had provided English classes for him in his home country before he had gotten here because she had an, an idea that they'd be coming. And so once his brain was like out of survival mode and able to relax, those behaviors of not thinking, you know, he could read, of being silent, not interacting, they all relaxed too. And now we see a student that can read and write and just needed some spelling support. Like it just, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the thing, all of our kids. And that's one of the big messages we work on. They all come from different walks of life. No EL is the same. You know, we have kids born here. We have kids who are adopted. We have exchange students. We have kids who, and, you know, speaking from the mental health perspective, waited 10 years for a visa and came after mom and dad. We have kids who came before their parents because the visa system is really difficult to travel through. Um, and so it's important to kind of consider all of those factors in their behaviors. Wow. Okay. So what role do you actually play then um, for supporting teachers in the classroom and that transition period for the kids and the families? You know, at first it's all about what I say, this, the movie and not the snapshot. So when an EL first registers in your building, the first thing you want to think of is, are they literate in their first language? Can I assess their English, which in our states and other WIDA states that use screeners and access and things like that, you can. What traumas they may or may not have experienced. You know, some of our kids come from down the street. They were born in the county over and they just moved. You know, were, you know, were they always educated here or not? You know, so start do a lot of digging, ask a lot of questions. You know, what languages do their parents speak? What do they prefer to communicate in? Um, what were their academics like in their previous building? If they're coming from another state, do we have scores for them? So you want to start to build this profile per se, and then take that profile to the teachers. As a matter of fact, take that profile to everybody in the building, because I'm a big believer that everybody in the building should know who these kids are. I love and that. Why? Because 75% of their interactions are not with their EL teacher. Yeah. 75% of them are with the crossing guard in the morning the bus transportation team, the main office where parents will show up with questions, the admin team, the content area teachers, the special teachers, like they're traveling throughout their day. So it's really important that the EL teacher provides that connection so that that student's anxiety comes down and they do feel successful in those other parts of the building as they travel through their day. Oh my gosh. Okay. So give some strategies then, because I want people to know that you know, when they are not equipped to work with kids that have something just different outside the norm of a, a typical student that will just do whatever you want them to do, which is many kids. Um, but ELs, they they really need to know how to receive them and how to interact with them. And so when they are equipped, even with the few things you're going to share with us, they will just have more confidence. So what are a couple that you would start with? Like anybody, a blanket, like couple strategies. So the first thing I want to say is your first strategy should be to reach out to your EL teacher. If you're not sure what the background student information is on that kid, that would be the very first email that I would send. Who is the student and what can you tell me about their strengths? And this is, sorry, Andrea, this is before, like, this is when you get your class list. Yeah. They're identified. Yeah. And then before they come in. It's like, hey, I've got some questions, you know? The second thing you want to do is usually the most challenging students for teachers to work with when they first come into the building are newcomers, right? Kids that have, you know, level one, EL, very limited English, survival mode. 
You want to do things like label your classroom. You want to do things like incorporate their home language if they're literate in it. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Um, but you want to incorporate pieces of their home language with those labels if they're literate in it. You want to think picture support. You want to think whatever I say, I need to have a visual behind it. You want to think about how do I want to see this student successful in four areas, reading, writing, listening, and speaking. So when you're speaking to them, if they're looking at you like a deer in headlights, avoid expressions because we're full of them, right? Every language is. Keep the language simple. Language reduction. That doesn't mean I always say that you begin to speak like, you know, that caveman era. But what you do do, and you don't speak louder, that's always a joke because they don't, it doesn't mean or mean anything. But at the same time, how can you communicate the English to a person that's just learning English in a very simple, reduced way? And so you want to think whatever I say, I can also make visual and write. Whenever I'm doing presentations at the middle and high school level, hand them that PowerPoint ahead of time so they can follow it with you. Hmm. You want to be thinking about writing activities. What am I providing them with clothes? options? Am I providing them with writing stems? Am I taking 10 vocabulary words and reducing them to five? They don't need to know every single thing in the whole article. When I'm having them read something, could they listen to it? When I'm having them read something, could I just highlight the couple sentences that really give the main idea? And also realize that these accommodations will fade over time. They're not something that's going to be that way forever. Um, and just realize, too, that getting the level of your EL student is important because there's different accommodations based on the level of English the student has. Okay. Which makes total sense. It's like it's like having an IEP for a kid. You've got to think about the needs of that kid. And by the way, it sounds like everything that you mentioned could still be helpful to other students. Absolutely. And it usually is, right? Just like I always say with kids who have ADHD, well, if you do the same, if you use the same strategies you would for an ADHD kid. Um, or a kid with ADHD in your classroom, it will benefit many other kids because there's lots of strategies there. So this is really good too. Um, So what else? I know that you and I were talking before we recorded and we talked about sometimes you share information that you think other areas might have and they don't. And what are some of those things that you would think most people would be doing that they're not? You may have already mentioned them, but is there anything new? I think one of the important pieces I'm noticing that teachers are challenged with is how to confidently communicate with their families. And you have to remember that the families, you know, are the root to the student's success. You know, in, in order to, I'm a big John Gordon fan and I read a lot of his work and he always says, in order to bear great fruit, you have to treat the root. And the root to our kids is their parents. And so finding out from the parents what language they prefer to communicate in is really important. And so how do you do that? Well, there's amazing resources out there like Talking Points, which is one that we really like to use. It's a free web-based service where you can choose the language you would like the message to go home in. It goes directly to their cell phone. You put in the phone number of the parent. They respond in the language they prefer, and it comes back to you in English. And so that, you know, that's one. Google Aloud has great dubbing services. You've got um, services like Transact and Interpretalk with 24-hour-a-day live interpreters on the phone that you can use at any time. You've got services like Propio One that can hop on a Zoom with you to talk to mom and dad. So just really making an effort to find out from parents what language they prefer. And then once you have that, using one of these great opportunities to constantly communicate with them. If you're a teacher that uses S'more, which is a newsletter that 
people use. There's a translation feature at the top. Make your parents aware of these things. Because I find with family engagement that if you prefer to speak to them in a language that they can communicate in best, you're going to get the most information. That's awesome. Yeah. And I will tell people who are listening, teachers or even education leaders who need to communicate this, it, there is, you're, you're a little nervous to use this if you haven't used any of those services before. So like the interpretation one, the interpreter one, the phone call um, I've made with kids who came into our hospital in crisis with their families and English was definitely not their first language. So it only made sense to, and some of their parents didn't speak English at all. And so I was nervous to use it because I hadn't used it yet. So I will say when you do, oh my gosh, you open up those lines of communication and the trust that you make with these families and that kid is crucial. It's crucial. So how do you, how do you help teachers when you're working with them get past that? You know, that's not uncommon. And I, and I, and I, you know, in my own building, sometimes people are like, I forget I used it last year. Can you just come to me down with me for a minute? I'm like, yeah, you know, because it is so easy, you know, and just know that the families are so appreciative of the fact that you took the time and effort to provide them with a platform to give you the most information possible. And I, I encourage people like my teachers to use this plat- these platforms because As a parent of two teenage girls, if I went to a different place and I had to speak a different language, there may be some things that I wouldn't want my own children to hear me say. And so I encourage teachers to refrain from yanking a sibling from down the hall, come interpret for me or grabbing, you know, a kid from a different grade level. Oh, he speaks Spanish. Let me go get him or forcing the parent. Can you bring in a neighbor, you know, and things like that you're not going to provide yourself with an atmosphere where they want to share everything because maybe there's things they don't want their own children to know about their siblings, or maybe they don't want their business to be available to their neighbor, you know? So that's why using those platforms is so easy. But to answer your question, when a teacher calls, it's all about modeling. It's, you know, they, they need the physical support, whether you're on a Zoom with them or you're in that classroom, take the 10 minutes, go down there. When did you want to call? And as soon as I show it to them, this we call this 800 number, I say, I need Vietnamese. They say, cool, here's your Vietnamese interpreter. Let's go. You know, and as soon as you model that for teachers, it, it relaxes them. And they're like, oh, that was it? Yeah, that was it. You know, um, the other piece to remember is, is when you're working with interpreters and teachers sometimes are a little challenged by this. Remember to stop after every couple sentences. You know, because we tend to just keep going and then the interpreter is trying to catch up. Right. And then everybody's nodding and smiling and they're like, wait. So just remember, after every three to four sentences, stop, breathe and let the interpreter do what you're asking them to do to get a response. That is awesome. Um, So one of the things that popped in my mind when you're explaining that is I know the mindset of a teacher would be like, I'm too busy to do this. So what do you say to that? You know, our parents, our EL parents are giving their children a gift and the gift that they're giving them is the opportunity to become what we say multilingual right or bilingual however you want to phrase it they are relying on the school to provide the free education to teach their student english and they're also relying on you to lead their child through one of the most challenging parts of their life and so i think that every teacher should take that as an honor because their decision to come here or move to your district from wherever they're coming from 
is something that they're trusting you to do to keep their child safe, happy, and healthy throughout the day and to provide them with the opportunity to grow a skill. Hmm. It's so powerful, Andrea. Do you have an example story of when it really did make a difference in a kid's life? Absolutely. I mean, we, I've got tons of stories in 23 years, but you know, um, our students, for example, um, I have a student named, um, Christopher and he happens to be from the country El Salvador. And when Christopher was in his country, he witnessed a lot of traumatic things. And so for the first whole year of school, every time a copier would go off, Christopher would flinch. Mm. And that's because Christopher had witnessed some gang activity and some terrible things down there. And so we kind of worked through that, but we didn't know why he was flinching. And so when we made that call to mom and dad, they were able to share with us what had happened. And you're like, oh, now that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And then once we worked through that, the following year, he had made great friends with a young man named Nikki. And Nikki and he lived near each other. And I heard Nikki say to him one day, hey, buddy, like, let's hang out after school today. And Christopher looked at him and he quickly went, no. And I was surprised by that because Christopher and Nikki hang out all the time. And so after the end of the day was over, I said to Chris, I said, hey, buddy, I noticed you don't want to hang out with Nikki after school. Like, what's going on? And he looked at me and he started to tear up and he said, I can't play with Nikki after school. And I said, why, buddy? And he said, because they'll take me. Hmm. I said, what do you mean they'll take you? And he looked at me and I said, did someone take you before? And he said, in my country, if you wanted to play with people outside, you had to pay for the space because there was no opportunity to be on a block if a gang member didn't want you there. And so it wasn't safe for me to play outside there. And I looked at him and I said, do mom and dad think that you're not safe to play outside here? He said, yeah. And I said, okay. Let me call them and talk to them about what's going on. And so those conversations were so important because mom and dad needed reassurance too. They trust the school. They know where they are during the day, but in an after-school situation, playing in your backyard and where they came from wasn't okay. And so when I called mom and dad and we talked through it, they relaxed and said, okay, like he can hang out with Nikki. Well, now here we are two years later and they're getting into like all good trouble together in the community. (laughs) But it took that, it took that, you know, that effort, that conversation, that information gathering from the best source to help him with that. Cause you'd hate to see him walk through life thinking that that was true. Yeah. And he would miss out on that important social connection and that feeling included Right. And if, if nobody felt like they could speak at, speak with the parents, then that's just shut right down. So, okay. What about teachers? Because we know that teachers develop the relationship with the kid often, but I would think that might be a little different if of course they don't engage with a kid, they think that they can't. And I think I've witnessed this myself. Um, It's scary when we don't know much about the kid who's quiet. And so sometimes we just don't engage. We do it a little easier. Fair enough. Right. Um, but we can't do that. So what do you think that outcome or how do you think that that teacher should engage with the kid in a way that's really comfortable for the teacher to get started if the kid is not responsive? You know what I mean? If the kid's sitting there and I think you know what I'm asking, right? Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning, it's all about hugs and high fives. It's all about just providing that kid with some hope. You know, it's all about, you know, body language. It's all about, you know, being consistent. You know, well, if you're welcoming them in the morning, you welcome them every morning. They see your eyes. 
they know how you feel about them without you saying anything, you know, it's, it's making attempts to learn their language. You know, there's with the tools that we have now, you know, I mean, we've got other great resources that I, you know, now that we're talking about it, I didn't even mention before, like a pocket talk that's on Amazon where you can just speak their first English, hit a button and it comes out in their first language. Right. You know, it's, it's so cool. I mean, there's so many like adaptable tools now. Yeah. Uh, people use Google Translate. It's not perfect, but it's great. You know, an opportunity. Um, people use iPads and, you know, there's all these audio things. There's so many things and I could go on and on about options, but just putting forth that effort to provide them with a comfortable place in your room. I always say that's your house, right? As teachers, we live in our houses all day long. How do people feel when they come to your house, Hmm. you know, and providing that environment, connecting them is important, you know, as a teacher, not just with yourself, but for some effort, are there other kids in the building that speak that language too? Are there adults in the building? Are there maintenance team members in the building, cafeteria team members, office team members, administrators, not just building wide, how about countywide? How about district wide? You know, do you have a bilingual district list of people in your district that speak different languages? So you could put them on a quick Zoom, you know, with another kid in a different building. Like, think about what Zoom does for us now. Oh, that's great. So just be thinking bigger, you know, not just about your classroom. Yes, be consistent, be calm, be caring, you know, those three things. But think bigger than, you know, where you just are. That's huge. And then the other, the other piece to this is huge too. How do we connect them with other students in the classroom so they don't feel alone? Yeah. One of the big things that I've done this year that seemed to be really successful is bring a friend day. So our, our, I do that as an EL teacher. My kids love it because they get to pick one or two friends to come down for lunch. And we do it like once a marking period. And it's like a big hubbub. Who am I going to pick? Who am I going to pick? And, you know, everybody wants to come to Miss B's room, you know, during the day. Um, but little things like that, reduce their anxiety, put them in their home space. They love being in the EL room. It's a comfortable, happy, anxiety-free place for them to learn a skill. Mm -hmm. And when they get to bring a friend and have pride that this shows them what they're learning, it creates an awesome atmosphere. And it also, you know, keep in mind that most kids don't realize they're bilingual until around third grade. You know, I, I, I have one student named Sophie and she was, I've seen her since kindergarten. Now she's in third grade. But when she was younger, I, if I would say to her, do you know you're bilingual? She'd go, um, I just speak to you in one thing and I speak to my mommy in something different. Like, it's just that simple. You know, you look at this person, your brain does this, you look at the, you know, but as they get around third grade, when social awareness sets in, in general, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can do something different. And they'll start to say like, I can speak different. Or sometimes they'll start to say, my mom's English isn't that good. Mm-hmm. And they'll start to notice and then they feel a little embarrassed. And it's like, I, I don't want people to know I have this gift. So yeah. I work really hard in the work that I do to be like, no, like, look at what you can do, you know, and, and we teach them about that. But bringing friends to the environment they feel most confident in with little lunches, little activities, extra recess with a friend pushes them out of their comfort zone, but supports them with where they can be home confident. Yeah, I think that's great too. And I think I think it's a great responsibility for teachers to actually create that culture within their own classroom and how they teach about it or talk about it or like not, you know, the language they use. And I don't mean, you know, like Spanish, English, whatever. I mean, how they how they respond to the child rather than saying, oh my gosh, that's different. It's wow, look at that. And I think that's part of what you probably do is, is teach teachers how to do that in a way that creates that safety in the classroom among their students too. 
We do. I mean, in my 23 years of working in this field, most of it's been with at-risk kids, whether it was Title I. I've worked in Title I for 10. I've worked in EL, et cetera, always as both or one or the other. And what I found is that it doesn't matter if it's a grade K to 12, because I've worked with everybody. All kids and families are looking for three things. They're looking to feel respected. They're looking to feel accepted. And they're looking to feel admired. And when you provide that for them, not just on their good days, but on their challenging days too, you start to develop a relationship with them where they'll work for you. Um, and I just think it's important for teachers to consider that throughout you know, their experiences with kids. Yeah. I mean, teachers typically love kids. So I know that they want to reach out. I know they want to support them. Just like in the work I do, Andrea, it's, it's similar in that, you know, the need is there, but if they're, Ill, if they're ill-equipped or unequipped, they're afraid to try, or they just don't have the confidence, right? Yeah. So they'll either try and maybe not do it in a way that supports the kid they need, the way they need it, or we just go back to either ignoring it or doing things that didn't work before. Just Yeah. And something I encourage teachers to do is to create an environment of instead of I want English right now to flip the script in your classroom culture to say, oh, you're learning English. Wow. And when you present that to kids, they want to help, too. You know, they're not they're helpers. They're natural helpers. That is great. I love it. I love pulling in the other kids as the helper. That's so important. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. They need it. It's great. Okay. So tell leaders, because there's a lot of education and mental health leaders who have an impact on our school and who can help create this change and make decisions about this. How can they use you um, to help their teachers do this work? So the good news is, is I'm still teaching every day, which I love um, and mentoring teachers as well. But my district has been really supportive about allowing me to travel throughout the country and go to school districts, universities, conferences, and do exactly that. Teach teachers how to better reach, teach, and connect and have confidence with working with EL students and families. And so on my website, which is andreabittnerbooks.com, there are four different session options. And especially for you know people that are working in the support fields, I say mental health, OT, PT, admin, et cetera. Um, there's one particular session called from registration to navigation helping your EL students and families engage successfully with school. And so I think that that would be one session that would be extremely helpful um, in addition to uh, some other sessions that are there as well. That's great. So they'll pull you in to maybe welcome people back to the school year and then they'll have you sign up for, they'll actually have you come in for a couple of PD days. Is that what it would look like? And you do some coaching and mentoring as well for leaders? Yes. So I've done keynote sessions. I've done workshop sessions and then continued support with mentoring and coaching. Um, I've gotten to travel the country. I've been to Texas. I've been to Florida. I've been to Georgia. I've been to North Carolina. Um, I've been north. Um, I've headed up to Connecticut a few weeks ago. So it's just an awesome opportunity to get to go out there and help people learn how to better work with these amazing kids because they're depending on us. Yeah, they really are depending on us. It sounds like it. And if you can give their, those teachers the skills and tools to help those kids. And by the way, this helps other kids too. We know that it does too. It's so valuable what you're doing. Thank you, Andrea, for all the work that you're doing truly. Thank you. Yeah. And so how can people reach out to you if they want to bring you in? Sure. So uh, you could visit the website, which is andreabittnerbooks.com. Um, but you can also find me on Twitter or on LinkedIn at Bittner Andrea. 
That is awesome. Okay. So what people don't realize, I haven't asked Andrea this yet, and I think she's going to um, probably provide something, which is why I'm putting you on the spot. As we're doing a virtual summit for educators to improve mental health in our schools at the end of August, 2023. Uh, By the way, if y'all have not signed up yet, please sign up. It's totally free. All of it's free totally free resources. So Andrew, I'd love for you to provide a resource for people that they can just maybe download that might help them like a worksheet or a checklist or something. And that way, like if you all come in and go to the summit, I'll make sure that you can find it from Andrea, because this is truly, really important. And maybe you could provide that resource for the summit to benefit educators. Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking it would be great to provide the 10 essential questions you should ask when an EL joins your school. And that way people may have to use those questions to steer their conversation. There you go. Okay. And that's just one of many, I'm sure. (laughs) True. Okay. True. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Andrea. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.